0: Hugh Mackay is the founder of the Australian quarterly research series, the Ipsos Mackay Report, previously the Mackay Report. He's a psychologist, social researcher and writer. He's a regular columnist in The Age and regular commentator appearing on radio and television. Hugh has just launched his latest book, Advance Australia Wear. He has written four novels, including Winter Clothes, Little Lies, Houseguest and The Spin. His other books focus on his work as a social researcher looking into media and society like Media Mania and Right and Wrong. Thanks for joining us today, Hugh.
1: Great pleasure, Valerie.
0: Now tell us, what came first for you, being a social researcher or a writer?
1: The work of social research came first. The dream of writing came first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, as a kid, I, I was one of those kids who was always lost in a book and I and I sort of vaguely dreamed of being able to write, um, but it didn't sort of dawn on me until I was into my mid twenties that I could actually do it. And I did then write a couple of novels, uh, which were like practice runs, and which now, when I look back, to my great relief, were never published. <laughs> um, but my my working life began as a as a social researcher, or as a market and media researcher initially, and then into social research. Um, but the idea that that I might be able one day uh, to write in a way that was not to do with uh, my my research work was an idea that you know has been with me uh, well for a very long time. I mean, my first book was not published until I was in my mid-fifties, so research was a major distraction. <laughs>
0: yes, but also it gave you that foundation, I suppose, because you turned your social research into best-selling books, so it was a really good background.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And also, of course, the thing about research is that you're constantly writing research reports, you know, and the, 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 as I moved more and more into qualitative social research, mm. uh, the, the writing itself became more of a challenge and more of a pleasure mm. because it was not just describing what the statistics said but interpreting and analysing qualitative data Uh, So, yeah, the transition from research reports into non-fiction books was a very painless transition because my first non-fiction book, uh, Reinventing Australia, was like a kind of mega research report. Mm.
0: How did you get interested in social research in the first place when you started off, as you say, in media and marketing research?
1: Yes, um, I I think like... Like the writing thing, this goes right back. I think as a child, I was a bit... I mean, I had a very cheerful uh, kind of childhood and some very good friends. Um, But I was always a bit of a... Particularly in adolescence, a bit of an outsider, a bit of an observer. Um, And so I just kind of stumbled into research. My father had heard of this of this new industry, we're talking about, you know, the, the late 50s now, mm. that was a very new industry, and uh, he, he suggested that I should make contact with uh, what was then the McNair organization, subsequently became A.C. Nielsen, mm. um, and so I got a job straight out of school, just as a kid uh, looking for work, really, and it just happened to be the kind of job that engrossed me right from the beginning, this whole idea of observing and analysing human behaviour, whether whether in a commercial or political or social Mm. context. I I was really hooked from the start, and I did all my uh, undergraduate and graduate study as an evening student. I just worked from the beginning. I just kept working.
0: Mm. And compared to uh, Advanced Australia Where, which is about Australia's progression over say the last 25 years compared to the Australia there compared to the Australia you described in reinventing australia which was a seminal book what have been the most profound changes that you've noticed if you had to pick you know a handful of them
1: yes i think there are, there is a handful uh, i think one is that in that 15 year period the place of women in our society was Um, massively improved. The whole gender revolution, which I was reporting in Reinventing Australia, was no longer revolutionary. By the time I got round to writing Advance Australia, where even though there were still many um, areas where women would, would feel as if they were struggling for equality... In the culture at large, the idea of gender equality is now entrenched, mm. and even the recalcitrant, slow-learning males who've resisted this—I think they know that it's a losing battle they're fighting—that you, you know, you can't deny uh, equality, and that's made a huge difference to Australia. Fifteen years later, I mean, it's it's affected every aspect of Australian life, from politics to the workplace. Uh, to marriage and parenthood. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd put that, I think, at top of the list. Mm. Um, the other big changes are economic and technological. I think Australia in this 15-year period has been through a major restructure of the economy. There's been a lot of changes in the workplace. Mm-hmm. We've We've moved in this period really from being a society where people expected the idea of job security Mm. where today most people in most organizations in most industries live with a sense of job insecurity. That's been a huge change. The rise in casual and part-time work and corresponding to the the changes in the workplace, a shift in the distribution of income with with big growth in rich households, Mm and big growth in poor households. I think that split is far more dramatic now than it was in the early 90s. We saw the beginning of it then, but we, I think, had no idea just how far it would go. Mm. Uh, And and back then, the concept of the information technology revolution, what the mobile phone and the internet would do to us as a society, wasn't really being imagined. I mean, computers were certainly... Part of the scene, but we hadn't imagined uh, how sophisticated information technology would get, or how it would change our lives.
0: Absolutely. Mm.
1: I think the other the other things to be said about the, just back on the social thing. Yeah. Uh, in in the early nineties, even though we were living with a much higher divorce rate and the birth rate was falling, I don't think any of us predicted. That the divorce rate would remain so high as it has, Mm. uh, or that the birth rate would go so much lower as it has. Mm. So, they're two, again, changes that have a big effect on on the culture and on the shape of our society. Mm
0: -hmm. And what do you prefer writing? Your non fiction, which is, you know, certainly not dry non fiction, it's very engaging, or do you prefer writing fiction?
1: I'd have to say i prefer writing fiction really? i i i enjoy non i mean, i enjoy them both which mm. is why i'm you know i i alternate yes. as much as i can um the non fiction is my work you know that's uh, as a as a lifetime of uh being a social researcher um, uh, i've spent you know spent fifty years at it and it's and it's what i do mm. and it and it and it comes relatively easily to me, although there are always surprises, but I love trying to make sense of how society is changing and I really, I really enjoyed writing the latest book, Advance Australia Wear. Mm. Um, that, that gave me an enormous amount of satisfaction because there were so many changes since the last time I'd tried it. Uh, It was fascinating to be able to pull so much of my own research together Mm. uh, and other people's research and statistical research and so on and make sense of it. So, of course, I love doing that, and it's kind of second nature. But fiction, which I've dreamed of writing for most of my life, Mm. is a much more liberating, much more therapeutic process. And in a curious way, I feel as though fiction gets me closer to writing the truth Mm. (laughs) than non-fiction. I mean, with non-fiction, of course I'm doing social analysis and I'm trying to make sense of what's happening and I'm relying on a lot of data from a lot of sources, but especially from people talking about what's going on in their minds and how their attitudes uh, towards this or that topic might be changing. Mm. And I have to believe them. You know, I can't get absolutely inside their heads. I'm relying on people telling me the truth and I'm relying on my own skill in trying to interpret all of this. But with fiction, of course, that filtering process, that that problem of dealing with second-hand data does not arise. I mean, with fiction, it's straight from the imagination onto the page. Mm and there's a kind of directness a kind of authenticity about that um which i really enjoy mm-hmm. you know it it it's also when when a non-fiction book is published um i enjoy that experience and i like discussing it with readers and talking about what i've found and so on but with fiction it's a complete having the book published is a completely different experience because because it is so direct, it is so straight out of your imagination that you're very vulnerable. You know you, people are much much readier to criticise and attack fiction <laughs> um, because it's a personal revelation, mm. uh, even if it you know is not supposed to be. I uh, can't help being that. Whereas with the non-fiction, people say, "Oh, well, you're the professional. This is what you found. That's great."
0: Yes. So when you wrote your first fiction book, or when you when that was first published, was it quite stressful <laughs> because you were known for you know yes. something entirely different? Yes. And and had, was it easy or difficult or what to make that transition to get out of writing that in that non-fiction space to writing fiction?
1: The actual writing was a joy. Right. Uh, the writing of my first novel, Little Lies, uh, which came out in 95, um, that was an absolute pleasure. Right. But the process, e- exactly as you've just described it, Valerie, <laughs> the process of having it published mm. was very stressful because I knew that people would not automatically take this seriously because what they expected from me was non-fiction mm. and what did i mean by sort of jumping the fence and getting into this other paddock um uh and and i wasn't really prepared for how tough it is to read um to read reviews of a book which are very negative and when when little lies first came out the the first few reviews were very hostile and negative negative. Mm. And discouraging, and it was only really later in the review process that some some quite glowing reviews uh, finally appeared. But by then, I'd you know taken quite an emotional knock. Yes. Uh, so I'm now ready for that. I now know that when you know when each novel comes out, the reaction will be of a, qualitatively different from reactions to the nonfiction work.
0: Mm-mm. Well, you've got but, several under your belt now.
1: Well, four novels have been published, and the fifth is now uh, nearing completion. It'll be out early next year.
0: Can you tell us what's uh, that, what that's going to be about?
1: Well, it's a, it's an extension. It's not a sequel, but it's an extension of my fourth book, which was called Winter Close, which was a, a book written in the first person from the point of view of a, of a counsellor in his early 40s, talking about suburban life in the street in Sydney where he lived, his relationships with various neighbours and his work, um, and a lot of introspective stuff about what was happening to him after the collapse of his own marriage, etc. Mm. Uh, this is a much more ambitious book. Uh, Tom, the counsellor, is still the narrator and he's still living in the same street and some of the neighbours are the same and some of those relationships are explored. But it, it goes into much deeper water. Uh, Tom is really having a a, a, a bit of a... He's becoming a bit burnt out, having a bit of a crisis, becoming a bit impatient with mm-hmm. uh, the sort of middle-class angst of his clients mm-hmm. uh, and their quest for perfect lives, which he thinks is very unrealistic. Um, so that's a, that's a major theme. He also gets caught up because he's getting a bit jaded in his counselling work. He gets caught up in a number of other activities, including... Motoring journalism and university politics, courtesy of a friend. So there are many, many strands. It's a more complex plot, and emotionally, it's um, it's a bit darker, a bit more complex because Tom really is uh, at a bit of a turning point in his own life. Mm.
0: And has this book got a title yet?
1: It hasn't got a title yet. It mm-hmm. um, um, hasn't got a title or a cover. We're working on those two things at the moment.
0: So, can you, when you are writing, you, you know, a book like this, can you describe to us your typical working day?
1: Yes. Uh, if it's a writing day, mm. it's very, very solid. I try to ha- I try to set aside weeks for writing. Mm. I often don't succeed because I might have <laughs> lectures to give or other things that interrupt. But. I find that I'm not the kind of writer who can say, well, the first three hours of every day I'll write and then I'll do other things. I really need pretty well uninterrupted days to make proper progress. So in the diary, in any given month, I slash out a certain number of days, Mm. which are to be writing-only days, and I try to crowd the other things into the other days. So a writing day uh, typically begins uh, at about... 8 or 8.30 a.m. Uh, I'll write consistently for a, a few hours, uh, have a break, and then write again in the afternoon, mm. uh, finishing normally at about 6. So it's a very solid day of writing. And what, what, then what I would normally do at the beginning uh, of of each day, before I start the new work, is do a lot of editing of what went on the day before. Oh, you do
0: that? That's interesting because some writers say that they do that at the very end
1: because. They well, don't... I do it both. I mean, I right. I clean up uh, obvious infelicities and yeah. uh, uh, things that strike me the day after because I because I write quite quickly when I'm writing. Mm. Uh, it's not. Good the first time, you know, it rushes mm. out and it feels terrific, but when you go back 24 hours later, you think, oh dear, <laughs> uh, this needs a lot of immediate work. Then, of course, uh, once the thing is drafted, the rewriting, polishing, editing process goes on for months. Mm, of course. I'm yes. in the middle of that right now with. Um, with this uh the, the working title of this book is Ways of Escape. Mm-hmm. That may survive as the title, we're not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Ways of Escape I'm now in the thick of this uh, in the thick of this um editing and polishing process, which I love. I mean mm-hmm. the, the 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 writing is done and now the polishing and culling and cutting and refinement uh is is a process which I take every bit as seriously as the, as the initial writing.
0: Your fictional books are, you know, about various issues, but a lot on human relationships as well. You obviously need to research the fictional books to some extent. Do you actually do that kind of accidentally by default as you're researching your non-fiction books, or do you actually go on a different process to research those books?
1: That's, that's a fascinating question um, <laughs> because, I, I mean, two things happen. Uh, a novel the idea for a novel comes to me often as a particular scene right. uh, which I visualize between certain characters and I think yeah lena you know, that's a you know, that that could be a really interesting moment in a story, and the story evolves backwards and forwards from that moment um, and now where does that come from? I'm sure a lot of it does come from this continuous process of social research, of listening to people talking about their lives and their hopes and so on. So I feel as though my professional research work gives me all the material I need for insights into human nature and the human condition and personal relationships, plus, of course, my own experience. Mm. Um, the actual research, the, the the specific research that I do for a novel tends to be more geographical than psychological that is to say go to the places mm. and soak up the atmosphere and walk around the streets or the shops or the areas that I'm that I'm dealing with so that I really do get the sense of those places uh, so it's research into place the research into the relationships the characters the interactions and the trajectory of the plot that takes place very much inside my head, mm-hmm. and I do very little on-paper plotting of that. I mean, I do make a lot of notes, but they're fragmentary notes. I don't, for example, have a chart on the wall, as some novelists do, where you know they go from the beginning to the middle to the end, and it's all laid out, mm-hmm. because I find the process of writing far more spontaneous than I expected it to be, and, and uh, it takes... It takes um, directions, twists, turns that I certainly didn't plan um, and which I don't always go along with, but, um, but I am open to the fact that when you put characters in a context and in relationship with each other, they do and say things that you don't always expect. I mean, that's, uh, that to me is what the imaginative leap is about, what the creative process is about, letting it happen rather than making it happen.
0: And that's partly also due to the fact that you must be a very astute observer so you would sort of naturally know how a character would react in a certain situation even if it does surprise you, I think.
1: Well, it's kind of you to put it like that. It's partly a function of age. I mean, if you've been around for a while <laughs> uh, and you've got a family and you've got friends and you've had various working experiences, you know what, you know, what people are like and yes. what they get up to and what they say. So I think that... I mean, my... My passion is about relationships, and, as you said, that's you know whatever the book the book might be about politics or it might be about a counsellor who's impatient with his clients or you know whatever it might be about it's always about um relationships and and why people react to each other in the way they do, why they so often say one thing and do another. Mm. Uh, and I suppose the other way of expressing this is to say the theme of all my books, I think, is whether, you know, never setting out for this to be the case, but it turns out to be the case, mm. is there's always more going on than meets the eye. Mm. And if you start peeling it away, there are many layers and they're all fascinating and they often seem to contradict each other. Mm.
0: What a perfect combination to be able to do your social research and then you know transform it in a sense in into your fictional work
1: well i I love it, and I do feel as though it's all part of the one the one life you know mm. the one the one work mm. uh, uh, in a way and i'm I'm just delighted that rather too late in life you know I finally got around to giving fiction a head and letting all this stuff come out in the novels... But certainly, there there are two or three more novels still to come, and I'm looking forward to that.
0: I remember actually the first fictional novel I read of yours, and I and I'll admit I picked it up going, let's see, (laughs) you know, and I could not put it down. And I remember actually once you said something um, about a character that you when you were researching a character who was in her twenties, and one of the things that you realised people in their twenties, and at the time I was in my um, twenties. One of the things you realise that people in their twenties say is this really, really thing. Really, yeah. Everything's Really, this, really that, and of course, my instant reaction to that was really. <laughs> and from that day on, uh, in my writing, my own writing, I'm there crossing out the reallys Yeah. is <laughs> Really overused. And, and, and on a final note, what advice would you give to aspiring writers?
1: Uh, start young and keep writing, but never assume that everything you write is for publication. Um, um, a publisher has given me this advice even now you know that that, that it's just practice uh, you You just get the rewriting, uh, the refinement, the trying out just makes you better and better at the craft and I think anyone with the urge to write must write you know if you if it's almost a daily discipline to write something. It's, it's almost inevitable the writing will get better and eventually you'll have something to show someone else. Mm,
0: wonderful. And thank you for your time today, Hugh.
1: It's a great pleasure. Thank you, Valerie.
0: ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie K H O O com. Thank you for listening.